This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hello everybody, this is Ryan Kennedy here with fantasy guru Matt Larkin, a.k.a. the Boy Wonder, a.k.a. the Bearded One. Uh, We can do a little special wrap-up here, a little preview, uh, since everybody's probably thinking about their 2018-19 fantasy teams right now. THN uh, Poolbook out on stands right now. Uh, so pick that up. Got a couple of copies there, if I'm, uh, or a couple of covers, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, so, Matt, I'm going to turn it over to you so you can explain just what we're doing here today. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's the time of year where I think most people might not be really wading deep into their fantasy hockey prep, and, and I call those people future losers. <laughs> not in real life, just in fantasy pools, because to me, the ones who are going to win are the ones that are familiarizing themselves with the rosters and all the players right now. And then in September, October, the better GMs have already read their magazines, have already read all their rankings, and they're just looking at the news updates. So hopefully you're listening to this podcast right now, and if you are, you're already getting a good head start on your competition. Uh, Today what we're doing is sleepers and busts. I've identified five sleepers and five busts that I'm really liking uh, or or disliking if we're talking Mm -hmm. busts. Uh, And to explain um, what I mean by sleeper and bust, okay? Sleeper is pretty simple. It's someone who I think will outperform his average draft position. And I've got sort of tiered guys, a few more obvious names, and each sleeper I'll go down, I'll get deeper because I know a lot of people really want these sort of obscure names. Deeper sleepers. Deeper sleepers. Uh, and the bus, that's the one that needs more of a disclaimer, okay? So when you hear these names, I don't hate these players. They're good hockey players. Most of them are. Um, but what I'm saying when I call them potential bust picks is that they are going higher than they should and that they won't produce what it costs to get them in the draft. So uh, keep that in mind when you hear the names. And, you know, there's going to be some big names in there. You might freak mm-hmm. out, but stay calm. It'll be okay. Yes. You, you definitely have to be kind of guerrilla when it comes to these pools. you got to be mercenary. That's right. Yeah, it doesn't matter if a guy is like one of the best players in the NHL. We, are, we strictly care about points. That's right. Yes. Exactly. So, all right, well, let's kick it off the sleepers. At number one, you have a player who was number one in the draft few years ago now, uh, from the Edmonton Oilers. Matt, tell us who you guys your first sleeper. We've got Ryan Nugent Hopkins. And again, Nugent Hopkins, first overall pick in 2011. He's a pretty big name. That's why I'm starting at the top here with the shallower sleepers. He's still a sleeper because I think he's going to outproduce his average draft position. Um, and I always like looking at guys that had really strong finishes to the season because their service numbers, if you're a casual player, it's like, oh, he's got 55 points, 60 points, no big deal. But if you look closer, you know that Ryan Nugent Hopkins finished the season with Connor McDavid, had 15 points in 13 games, like elite production. Uh, and yes, we don't want to always base our picks based on uh, who the guy's playing with. Mm. But Nuge has enough talent on his own. It's not a huge concern. And if I'm Todd McClellan in Edmonton, there's no reason to break up that pair. They were so good down the stretch. They played together at the World Championship, so they were keeping that chemistry going even after the season ended. Uh, and I'd be stunned if they didn't start the year as line mates. Now we have Leon Dreisaitl playing on line two. He's, you know, a year ago it was, is he going to be McDavid's right winger? And now he's pretty entrenched, entrenched on his own line as a center, which means the news, you want to keep him in the top six. Line one with McDavid, and he's a guy you might be able to get him, you know, I don't know, round five. But if he keeps that pace, he could be a 70-point player this year. I expect a career year from the Nuge. Mm. Now, you brought up Leon Dreisaitl, and that's an interesting situation. Assuming that he is on 
a line apart from McDavid. How do you handle a player like Drysaddle when you're making your picks? It's interesting. I think people went bananas for Drysaddle last year. He was a, probably a second round pick because he had the breakout. He spent a lot of time on McDavid's line the year before. Uh, but you know, Drysaddle to me is he's signed. I almost want to call him undervalued now because mm. he still had a pretty good year. He still has a pretty high floor, seventy points. He was the third overall pick in his draft class. He's a very talented player. He's not the kind of guy that was reliant on McDavid to be good. He's a dominant center. Uh, so I kind of I like the fact that people have sort of cooled on Drysaddle. Mm. I think he could actually be a value, a guy you can pick in the third round who's going to produce like a second rounder in most leagues. Right on. Uh, moving on to number two, we have a, uh, a young gun from the Columbus Blue Jackets, Pierre-Luc Dubois. What do you like about PLD? Oh, I like PLD. He reminded me, even physically, even looks like Vincent LeCavalier, in my opinion. <clears throat> Plays sort of a powerful game. He's got a bit of a nasty streak to him as well. Uh, and he's really making Yarmo Kekalainen look good for picking him third overall. At the yeah. time, it was considered a shocker that he didn't pick Jesse Pugliarvi. Uh, but Dubois looks like clearly the third best player in that draft class after Matthews and Line. Uh, and this is a case of a guy where he got hot down the stretch, 26 points in 33 games. That's a 65-point pace, if my math is right. Uh, and because of the pedigree, you don't look at that production and say, oh, it was a fluke. No, this guy was supposed to be a star. He was drafted with the intention of becoming a first-line center. He got put with Artemi Panarin and Cam Atkinson, and now he goes into next season entrenched as the number one center in Columbus. It's no longer a competition with Alexander Venberg. This is Dubois' team now. He's the guy down the middle. Uh, and I could see him producing like he did in that second half after the All-Star break, except extrapolated over a full season. So to me, he's a guy, he's not really a household name yet, unless you're a diehard fan. Uh, but he's going to produce like maybe a 60, 65 point season. Mm. Now, how much of an X factor is Artemi Panarin in terms of if he stays with the Columbus Blue Jackets or if they trade him early in the season uh, because of the breakdown in contract extension talks? It definitely is an X factor. At the same time, you can't... It's, and we, we talked about this when we were even predicting Columbus's spot in the standings. You can't bake in the fantasy trade that hasn't happened yet. Mm. It, it could happen, but we don't know what's going to happen. So I think it's better to just evaluate guys for now based on who their actual line mates are. And also, if Panarin is traded, whatever Columbus gets back... They're a win-now team, so they're probably going to get back a good roster player that might still, you know, maybe it's another winger that's still going to play with Dubois. And the other thing is Dubois has got the pedigree, and that's what I, I love targeting breakout guys who in their own right are talented. They're not just depending on line mates. So Dubois is a guy, he's talented no matter who he's playing with. Panarin, of course, is going to help him a ton, but even if he's not with Panarin, I still think he's an ascending talent, so he's still worth drafting. Right on. Maybe Pooley's hold your pool on September 14th. Yeah, year. exactly. Maybe, you know, just in case. Well, I always say, <laughs> if you can, if the season starts October 5th, have your draft October 4th. Good point. You get all those preseason injuries, you yep, never know. Yeah, exactly. All right, moving on to a goaltender in a new spot, Philip Grubauer. What do you like about Grubauer? Oh, boy. Grubauer is what I call um, a league winner. And league winner, you've probably heard it in fantasy football, baseball. It's a guy that you can get really late, but that produces like a player who's way higher in terms of value. And because you get that guy so late, it's like having another star on your team. And it gives you such an advantage that often that team wins the championship. So last year, a league winner was Connor Hellebuck. If you took Connor Hellebuck with your final pick as a flyer, and you, and that means you didn't have to reach on a goalie early in the draft, and you were able to load up on more scorers, getting Hellebuck with your last pick. Maybe Hellebuck and Vasilevsky was your tandem. Oh, I'll just take these two young guys uh -huh. instead of Carey Price and Braden Holtby, and then you probably mm -hmm. won your league. Um, so Grubauer is a guy, uh, I always like to say money talks uh, in real life, and you can apply that to fantasy. So 
Colorado signed him to a three-year deal, $10 million, and there's a very clear message there. You don't pay a backup more than $3 million a year. It's saying, we intend for you to be our starter. Semyon Varlamov is injury-prone. He's got one year left on his deal. It's very similar to what we saw in Tampa Bay when Ben Bishop had one year left on his deal, and Tampa signed Andre Vasilevsky to the long-term extension, basically saying, yep, you're our guy, and look what happened. They traded Bishop. Vasilevsky now is a star. And Grubauer... Uh, I think is going to get the starters reins. Maybe it's going to be a platoon to start the year, but clearly Joe Sackick intends for Grubauer to win this battle. That's what they want. That's why they traded for him. They didn't trade. They didn't pay that price for a backup. Uh, and Grubauer, if you look at the rate stats, um, he had uh, the third best save percentage, even strength at five on five among 51 goalies who played at least a thousand minutes last year. If you go to a website like Corsica, Natural Stat Trick, and look at all the under the hood fancy stats, Grubauer's off the charts good. He was elite. And if, if he had played, let's say 50 games, he was like Vezina Trophy caliber good last year. Mm -hmm. 923 career save percentage. The highest career save percentage in NHL history is 922. So not saying that Grubauer is the greatest goalie of all time, <laughs> but it's a great start to your career when sure. your career save percentage is 923. Um, so to me, he's a potential star goalie who's masquerading as a backup. Great roster status if you have a league that, that has a bench. He could be your number two, and, and maybe later in the year he becomes a number one. Mm. How many goalies typically would you pick in a draft? Well, it depends on your league format, right? So if you're a league that starts one goaltender, uh, <laughs> I would wait a long time to pick your goalie because goalies are so fickle year to year. Other than maybe Sergei Bobrovsky, you have the, the values are constantly changing. So there's very little motivation, in my opinion, to take a goalie early, which is why, why Grubauer is a great guy. If you want to just wait on goalies, you can mm. take Grubauer really late. Um, if you're, I mean, I play in a league that has no bench and you start two goalies. So a league like that, Goalies are much more valuable, and you need to load up on goalies early. So it's very much dependent on your format. But the default format, I think most people play, is you have you know one goalie on the bench, and you have one goalie in your starting lineup. Mm, cool. Uh, speaking of a bench guy who could be getting into the starting lineup more, Jack Roslevic with the Winnipeg Jets. Why is he one of your sleepers? Oh yeah, and again, if you notice the pattern with most of these sleepers, he's another first-round pick in real life, another guy with actual pedigree, so he's supposed to become a very good player. Uh, and Paul Stastny leaving Winnipeg, in my opinion, is great news for Roslevic. I mean, he, he's been playing more wing with the Jets because there wasn't really room on the depth chart at center. But now he has to beat out Brian Little. Brian Little's 30 years old. Had a very serious injury a couple years ago. Had a big decline in production last year. Um, so I think Rosovic has a chance, even if he starts the year maybe on the third or fourth line. So he's, like you said, he's a better bench stash, um, but he has a really good chance to win that job uh, eventually. And if he does, I think he's going to be a big producer, just like we saw Kyle Connor when he got his chance last year. And Rosovic and Connor played very well together in Manitoba in the AHL. Rosovic was a point-per-game player at the AHL level. He's got really good speed, yes. which means he's going to jive. If you, you could play with, on the line with Ehlers. You could switch it up, put Connor down on the second line, play him with Rosovic. He, he's a nice fit for that super talented forward group. Um, so he's one of my absolute favorite deeper sleepers. Mm. I even wonder <laughs> if a player like that ends up seeing some penalty kill duty where maybe you get some shorthanded points, I presume that would be pretty valuable in a fantasy situation uh, because he does have that two-way ability he does have that versatility where you can put him at center you can put him at the wing uh and i i like to bring this up you know a couple of years ago i went down to michigan to see the national team development program play a couple of games and their top line was matthew kachuk 
Austin Matthews and Jack Roslovic. And they were clowning the other teams because basically Roslovic would get in first on the four check. He'd get the puck to either Matthews or Kachuk, and those two would just cycle it until it was either in the net or, you know, there was a penalty or maybe sometimes the goalie would make a save. But uh, it's always fun to see how those how those guys turn out and thinking about all of them on one line is pretty impressive. Oh yeah. Yeah. So anyways, moving on to our final sleeper. The deepest sleeper. The deepest of the deep. This is James Cameron deep. That's how deep this underwater right. dive is. We had to invent something just to find it. Just like James Cameron, because that's what he does. Good reference. Thank you. I am a National Geographic subscriber, and they like to write about James Cameron and his inventions. Sidebar, by the way, James Cameron disappoints me so much. He's just now, he's just a professional avatar. He's making five, four, five avatars? Come on! Yeah, I didn't even see the first one. I, I feel like now he's just an, in, an inventor who gets his grant money through making huge films. Yeah, damn. Yeah. It's too bad, because he, you know, he's had a great career but he's just yeah no i'm just an avatar avatar -er now come on man the man loves the ocean gotta give him props for that yeah uh anyways there's no segue for this uh number five sleeper andreas johnson from the toronto maple Leafs. that's right and he was a he's a sleeper in real life right he was picked 202nd overall in 2013 um and at the time had a pretty serious medical condition undiagnosed asthma i believe it was yes uh, and once he was properly treated and diagnosed, it seems like his game really took off, first in Sweden and then in the AHL. He was probably the best player in the AHL this year, point per game, absolutely dominant in the playoffs. I think 24 points in 16 games, Calder Cup MVP, uh, got a little taste of, of action with the Leafs late in the season and in the playoffs. Um, and what I like about Janssen, again, he's a deep sleeper, so deep sleeper means... You might be dropping him a week into the season. If it doesn't work out, that's no problem. But there's huge potential gain by picking him with maybe your final pick in the draft. Uh, right now, his worst-case scenario, he's going to be the third-line left winger on the Leafs <coughs> with Nazem Kadri and probably Kasperi Kapanen or Connor Brown. So even that deployment is pretty good. Yeah. Um, doesn't mean necessarily power play time. So again, you know, a deeper part of your lineup, roster filler type guy. Uh, maybe more valuable in real life because he's got great speed and he can play really well on the line with Kapanen on the right. But the upside to me for Janssen is absolutely gargantuan for such a late pick because if you look at who's ahead of him on the depth chart at left wing, it's not absolutely impossible to beat out these guys. So Patrick Marlowe, he's going to turn 39. Love Patrick Marlowe, class act, still very fast. Odds are he keeps the job all year, but you never know when suddenly he's going to hit a wall, age-related wall. He might start to break down. Maybe he gets moved down the lineup. Um, and he played a lot with Kadri before. Uh, and then you have Zach Hyman, who... Absolute coach's pet. Mike Babcock loves him. One of the hardest working players in the league. Lunch pail guy, etc., etc. But in terms of talent, he's pretty close to his ceiling. We know who Zach Hyman is. He's a 40-point player. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, his teammates love him. He writes children's books. He's a great dude. But Andreas Janssen is the type of guy that has a much higher ceiling. So if he can find a way, maybe he gets hot or there's an injury or, or Babcock decides to make some juggles, if he can get into that top six, then you have Andreas Janssen, who's got great wheels and great offensive touch, playing with Austin Matthews or John Tavares. And it's very rare to find a guy so late in the draft that has the ability or, or the ability to find himself in such a good situation. So I love Andreas Janssen as a deep sleeper. Mm, right on. Okay, let's now move on to the busts. And of course, these are still very good NHL players in real life. Let's not forget that, people, when it seems like Matt is cutting them down <laughs> mercilessly. But the explanations will take care of that. Uh, 
The number one quote-unquote bust is your Hart Trophy winner from the New Jersey Devils, Taylor Hall. Matt, explain yourself. Shock and awe. And you know what? Taylor Hall in standard Yahoo Fantasy Leagues was also the number one overall player. So MVP in fantasy, MVP in real life, Uh. and I'm calling him a bust. Well, here's the problem, okay? (laughs) Uh, In fantasy drafts, you do not win your draft in the first round, but you can lose your draft in the first round because everyone Uh. is getting a superstar. But if you pick the superstar who gets injured... It could destroy your entire season. And Taylor Hall's a great player. He plays the game at just a breakneck pace. Um, he was relatively healthy last year. Not, not perfectly healthy. Had a hand injury. But his average games played per 82 in his career is 69. So he averages 13 missed games per season. And now, because he's coming up a 93-point season MVP, you can't get him in the second, third, fourth round like you could last year. He's going to cost you a first-round pick. And to me, it's unacceptable to take a guy who averages 69 games in the first round. It's just mm. too dangerous for your team. So at that price, I'm going to pass on Taylor Hall, even if he's available. Um, because, I mean, again, when I say Taylor Hall bust, I still love Taylor Hall. And if he falls to you know 25th in the draft, second round... I'd take him, sure. So it's not about not taking him. It's about mm. not taking him at his current average draft price because he's going to be a first-round pick in most leagues this year. So I would avoid him. Mm. Okay, fair enough. Um, now, number two is your Lady Bing Trophy winner and uh, one of the engines of the Vegas Golden Knights, your Western Conference playoff champions, uh, William Carlson. Why should people be a little bit spooked uh, by Carlson. It's funny. I'm looking ahead at my bus list. I have four award winners on this list. <laughs> what am I doing? Uh, William Carlson, hey. Uh, again, classy player. Uh, I, I, I watched The Bachelor, by the way, and he's dating one of the contestants, former contestants, which I think is really cool. Uh, great release. And yes, he was obviously misused in Anaheim and Columbus, and he blossomed as a great, great goal scorer. And I do think the breakout was legitimate. But I think... That could mean, hey, 30 goals is a fair yeah. ask, and that would still be excellent. But he had the highest shooting percentage in the league. He really crept up on everyone. We're going to see a lot more teams keying on that line if he stays with Marchessault and Riley Smith this year, especially when Vegas lost David Perron and James Neal. They did get Paul Stastny, but overall their forward depth is a little bit weaker than it was last year, so you can focus on that number one line more. Um, but it's mainly the shooting percentage to me. It looks like an outlier. Uh, and I'm sort of fading a lot of the Vegas players this year, mm-hmm. um, except for the young guys like Alex Tuck and Shea Theodore because they had the pedigree in the past as first-round picks. Uh, but I just think a lot of Vegas players are going to have inflated value now, and they're going to come back to earth. doesn't mean they're going to be bad. It just means they're going to be a little bit less crazy good. Mm-hmm. So William Carlson could be a 33-goal scorer, which is great, but now you're going to have to pay the price in the draft, likely, of a 40-goal guy, and I'd rather take a proven 40-goal guy or a guy who I think is going to ascend. I mean, I'd, I'd probably rather take, let's say, Brock Besser over William Carlson, for example. Right, right. Yeah. yeah, now, I mean, you make an interesting point about Vegas because the Golden Knights obviously were, were so surprising last year, and teams are going to be gunning for them, and you are probably going to see some uh, some points come down. Now, I'm, I'm kind of curious, with a team that rolled its lines so much, is that a tricky lineup to pick players off of when it comes to fantasy because you you get a little more like um you know uh diversity in terms of the scoring like things there's a little more parity in the lineup yes absolutely you have to be careful and that's why 
you're you're always playing a dangerous game if you're chasing line combinations because a guy maybe he doesn't get the power play time he does one week and he doesn't the next week so I always prefer to bet on the talent bet on the pedigree which is why Alex Took is the the forward I'd like to take most on the Golden Knights I'm not saying he's the first guy I'd take like right. obviously I'd take William Carlson first but uh, <clears throat> Tuck is a guy I'd be targeting as a sleeper later in drafts because we know. Tuck was always projected to be a star power forward. I think he was picked, I think, 18th overall, if I remember correctly, maybe 17th by the Wild. So I'm looking more at guys like that where no matter what situation they're in, I expect them to produce as opposed to an Eric Holla who had this crazy breakout year. Holla! But we don't know. What if Holla gets moved to the third line permanently this year? Is he going to score 29 goals again? I don't know. So it's a very dangerous game. I agree. Mm, Fair enough. Okay, uh, speaking of dangerous games, back on to goaltenders and a veteran one at that. Your Vesna Trophy winner from the Nashville Predators, Pekka Rene. Why do you hate Pekka Rene? Oh, Pekka Rene. Why do you hate him? <laughs> Pekka Rene is, as we, you know, we're guys who have interviewed him a lot. He's like the nicest guy I've ever seen. Super guy. He's, he's great, dude. Yeah. Uh, Pekka Rene, um, it's, he's an interesting case. I think in real life, the analytics crowd has spoken loudly enough that people understand he's been somewhat overrated for a lot of, a lot of his career. But in fantasy, he's typically quite a good goalie. He's mm-hmm. worth a lot because he plays a lot, gets a lot of wins. Uh, obviously, was dominant last year, number one fantasy goalie last year. Uh, but a few things have happened since that should make us nervous. Uh, we know the playoffs were scary. Um, and he got pulled three times in that, that series against Winnipeg where they got eliminated. It doesn't mean that he's lost his job to UC Soros. But it does mean that UC Soros is probably going to steal a lot more work this year for multiple reasons. One... There might be a perception uh, that Pecorine broke down with too big a workload late in the year. So they want to keep him fresher. So you could see UC Staros start maybe 30 games this year. And also, Rene's 36 years old, I believe, 35, 36. He's uh, entering the final year of his deal. Uh, and the Preds just signed UC Staros to an extension. So again, the money talks. Mm-hmm. They're clearly planning on Staros to be their long-term guy. So they might want to get a closer look at Staros as the season progresses. Um, so I, I think Rene is going to have a, a shorter leash if he slumps during the regular season. And either way, I'm very confident that Saros is going to play a lot more. So Rene is, again, a guy that you probably have to pick him as the number one goalie in all of fantasy if you're going to get him. That's, that's how high you're going to have to take him in your draft. Uh, and do you want a guy number one? And you might have to pick, you know, top 10 in your draft, top 15, who's going to sit for 30 games? I don't know. Mm. Now, let me pose a question to you, Matt. The Nashville Predators, you know, they're probably going to be one of the best teams in the West once again this season. You know, and as you pointed out, UC Saros is ascendant. Pekka Rene is getting into the twilight of his career, although I... I will say goalies, they, they tend to age a lot different than skaters where you can still get a lot of good value, at least not fantasy value necessarily, but just in terms of playing uh, when they're in their mid to late 30s. So I'll, I'll pose this question to you. If you think Nashville is going to be very good and you know you can draft two goalies in your league, do you take Rene and Saros to, uh, you know, buttress against the idea that maybe Saros steals some starts, or is that a horrible idea because you because one of them is not going to really play for you? 
It's an interesting idea. It depends on your configuration of your league. So if you have a league with a deep bench where you can have multiple goalies on your bench, it could be quite a good idea because Saros has really good rate stats. So when he does play, he tends to be very good. Mm. Um, kind of like Grubauer has been for a while when he, when he was in Washington. So if you have that bench space and you can just follow along day by day and get find out who's starting, you can sub in Saros on those days when he starts. That's great. But if you're in a league that requires a lot more volume stats... Um, and maybe you need to start two goalies or maybe start one goalie, but the league counts saves and shots and shots against or wins. Mm. And those are all numbers that you need guys who just play a lot. And in that case, you want two starters as opposed to a tandem. Mm. Right on. Okay, good advice there. Okay, number four. He didn't win anything at the awards, but that's okay because he is a multiple Stanley Cup winner uh, and the pride of Ithaca. Dustin Brown of the Los Angeles Kings. You have him as your number four bust. Why is that? Yeah, I mean, this one is not too complicated. I'm just going to read you five numbers, okay? 27, 27, 28, 36, 61. The last number was his point total last year, and those were his four point totals before that. Again, these are his point totals. 27, 27, 28, 36, 61. Which number of those is the anomaly for a guy who's finished his prime years? Um, yes, the Kings opened things up a bit more under John Stevens. Uh, we saw Andre Kopitar have a breakout season as well. But with all due respect to Dustin Brown, he's not Andre Kopitar. No. Uh, I, I do think it, that season was it was a really nice season. And maybe Brown has established <laughs> a new floor. Maybe he's going to be a 40-point, 45-point player again. Uh, but after that breakout year, I mean, I'll put it in perspective. I have a guy in my own league who's asking me for advice. And he said, who should I keep? Uh, Rick, Ricard Raquel, Patrick Kane, or Dustin Brown? And I was like, dude, are you kidding me? Are you serious? Stop. Stop right now. Please yeah. don't keep Dustin Brown. And again, not trying to disrespect Dustin Brown, uh, but we just we know who he is at this point in his career. He's not going to be an elite offensive player anymore, I don't think. And I, I definitely would expect a regression. So I want no part of him uh, at what he's going to cost in, in a lot of drafts. Fair enough. I wonder if he like bought Andre Kopitar a watch at the end of the year or something like that. I wonder if players do that, where it's especially if they're going to contract years and be like, "Thanks for getting me an extra yeah. ten points that I wouldn't have had otherwise." Hey, I'm sure they do. Yeah, yeah. Right. It's like offensive linemen and like quarterbacks always yeah. buy offensive linemen stuff. Yeah, that's for right. That's making right. them not dead. Um, all right, we're going to our final bust. Your Calder Trophy winner from the New York Islanders. He is. Their only hope at center right now, I joke, but with John Tavares gone, Matthew Barzell is the, uh, the shining light for that franchise as we speak. So what is it about Matt with one T Barzell? Well, it's Matt with two T's, yeah. it's Matthew with one T. I call him Math- Matthew just to remind Matthew. myself of the spelling. Same, with, same with Dumba. Same with Dumba, yeah. Um, <clears throat> get more T's, people in Western Canada. Uh, anyways... Matt Barzell, why is he at the lower end of your bust list? Uh, this one hurts me the most because I'm a big believer in Matt Barzell. I, I, I was lucky enough to pick him up in my league last year. Uh, and he was the first rookie since Jenny Malkin to, to hit the 85-point mark. He's dynamic. He's fast. He can rag the puck. He's, he was a great playmaker coming up in, with Seattle and Major Junior. And this, I remember talking about him with you, Ryan, years ago. And we were like, this Barzell kid's ripping it up. We always thought he was going to be this yeah. good. And he is. Uh, but it's a matter of, again, better than a point-per-game player. He's going to cost so much in uh, you know, a non-keeper league, of course, a redraft league. It's going to cost a ton to get him. 
And with, with John Tavares not there, it's a lot easier for defenses to scheme against the Islanders now because there's a huge drop-off between Matt Barzell and, and your second-line center, which could be Brock Nelson, it could be Jan Kovar, Valtteri Filippola. Not exactly a murderer's row. Um, so if I'm defense, that's my scheme. You just Whether it's even if Anders Lee moves up now and plays on the left side, and if it's, maybe it's Lee Barzell, Eberle, I just send out my shot. If I'm the Flyers, I'm sending out the Couturier line against Matt Barzell over mm. and over and over. If I'm the Bruins, I'm sending out the Bergeron line over and over and over. Uh, and he was good enough that he could overcome, overcome you know, tough checking last year, but I think it's going to be a whole new ball game this time around. Um, so I still expect Barzal to be good. I think he's mm-hmm. going to have 70 points. Mm. But 70 points is not 85. Uh, so based on that, I don't like the price he's going to cost in drafts. So he's probably a guy that I would pass on and I would take a guy who's more proven. Uh, like I would take, let's say Patrick Kane, for example. Barzal, mm-hmm. I think, uh, at least five points more than Kane. Seven, I think seven points more than Kane last year. And... If people are really judging by points or hype, they might take Barzell over Kane, but I will not do that because I, I want the guy who I know is going to get a minimum 75 over the guy who's, I think, going to have a much tougher time as a sophomore. Mm. Now, speaking of the Islanders, with Tavares going to the Maple Leafs, how do you assess players like Anders Lee and um, Josh Bailey, who obviously had... Very nice totals themselves last season, but now the forward core is completely different in in Brooklyn slash Long Island. Yeah. Uh, how do you assess players like that? Yeah, it's a good question, and I think I'll be fading a lot of Islanders players. Um, and it's a matter of pedigree and what they've done before. So, okay, Josh Bailey was a first-round pick, but Bailey's deep into his career. We know who he is now, and he's established a very clear pattern in the course of his career of producing when he's with Tavares. Mm-hmm. So Tavares is gone. Um, maybe if Josh Bailey ends up ends up on the Barzell line, you never know, but Everly's got good chemistry on the right side, so I don't think they're going to mess with that. Um, Anders Lee is an interesting case because he was a he was a cool prospect, a multi-sport athlete, mm-hmm. very interesting kid coming up, but he did not have the elite pedigree. And I mean, yes, okay, you score 40 goals at the NHL level, you're clearly very good. <laughs> it but, is impressive. Yeah, it's very impressive, but he's also never done anything without playing with John Tavares, mm-hmm. uh, and to me it's different than a guy who always had a track record of success, then played with Tavares. So I'm a little nervous about Lee. I still think, uh, I would draft Lee I would draft Lee to be a 30 goal scorer. It's kind of a William Carlson situation. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't draft him expecting 40 again, even if he plays with Barzell, because again, I think teams are gonna key on that line more. So I do expect a regression from Lee. Uh, I see opportunity with the Islanders, um, with the deeper sleeper type kids, who could just get a bunch of points in shootout games because maybe the Islanders are just going to, you know, their plus minuses are probably going to be bad if your league counts plus minus, but they could get in a lot of, you know, I don't know, 7-5 type track meet <laughs> games. Uh, I really like Ryan Pulak because he's got a monster shot. With Shea Weber injured, he might have the hardest shot in the NHL, uh, and he's finally got his chance. He really looked good late last year. So that's a guy, that's the kind of guy I would target in, in uh, again, I want to say Brooklyn, Long Island, something, something Islanders. Yeah. Um, but that's the kind of guy our target. You can get him near the end of your draft, mm-hmm. and you might get a defenseman who can score fifteen goals and get forty points because Pulak's just got a monster shot. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. Other than that, I'm just weary, or wary. Sorry, not weary. I hate when people say weary mm-hmm. when they mean wary. I'm wary of a lot of the best Islanders players this year. Gotcha. Okay, so that does it for our sleepers and busts fantasy podcast. Matt, 
when are you going to drop your top 200 on the website? Is that coming up soon? The next update is coming probably this week. There's been one version of it up already that you can find right now, um, but it was pre-Jeff Skinner trade, so I will be updating the list probably later this week, and then I'll keep updating it as we get closer to the preseason and we start seeing injuries and training camp battles, that kind of thing. Excellent. Well, Matt, thank you for your expertise here. For Matt Lark and I, am Ryan Kennedy, and now you have all the fantasy information you need for sleepers and busts. Thanks for listening. <laughs>